Hello and welcome to Doing the Fringe, the podcast where we look at what it takes to put on the world's largest arts festival. Julian Spooner is one of the founders and co-artistic directors of Rum and Clay, a theatre company born out of Ecole Jacques Lecoq in Paris. The Lecoq focus on physical theatre, the body and mime remain a key device in Rum and Clay's work. Other graduates from Lecoq include Stephen Burkhoff and Complicité's Simon McBurney. I first encountered Rum and Clay when they took a strange wild song to the fringe in 2012. In my memory there was very little dialogue in the play but the physicality and creativity kept the whole auditorium engaged. I remember being captivated by how a piece of rope turned from a swing into an aeroplane wing in front of my eyes. Since A Strange Wild Song, they have continued to produce important plays that receive widespread critical acclaim. 2014 saw 64 Squares, a one-man play performed by three actors. 2016 brought Testosterone, a groundbreaking production that explored trans identity. In 2019, there was The War of the Worlds, a play that continues to question our relationship to truth, lies and fake news. Their latest play, Project Dictator, explores politics, art and authoritarianism. Julian Spooner, thank you very much for joining us. No problem. So first, I want to ask you about uh, what excites you about theatre and what do you hope your work will achieve? That's a good question. I think think what excites me about theatre... is its is its very liveness i suppose um it's it's sort of it's kind of um it, it's not replicable um uh, perfectly anyway so as much as you can try and replicate it from night to night it will always change um and suppose i suppose what i try and do or what we try and do in our work is to embrace that um so embrace that liveness um and i think what that liveness gives you is a very intense uh experience which is which is different which is a different cultural experience to um going to the cinema or 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 or, or other forms of 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 cultural experiences it's incredibly intense it's a real sort of it's a real encounter between performers and audience members and between audience members as well um i think that's why people find it sort of inherently difficult as well uh which is why there's perhaps a sort of uh you know people sometimes who aren't uh theater aficionados find the theater incredibly stressful uh or have to be forced to go because of its very nature it is it is incredibly intense and if it is unenjoyable um i don't think there's anything less enjoyable than 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 sitting in a theater not enjoying something but then vice versa uh, theatre that that really works and has a profound impact on you um, it, it is sort of I, I'm not sure if there's there's an experience which is which is more more intense and more profound uh, when you're when you're enjoying a piece of theatre or when you're connecting when a room is connected uh, by a piece of theatre um, so I think like the risks the risks in making it and, ex- and watching it are, mu- are much greater but the rewards are as well um, and I suppose the theatre that I I make tries to tries to really push that connection between the audience and the performer and the piece um, and really sort of really engage with the fact that we are all in the same room together uh, watching a watching a performance. Now, that's not to say that I, I sort of make work which is which is close to performance art in terms of its playing with the reality of the space my work is often playing with the sort of the magical in the space and the transportation 
of audience members to different spaces. But um, I think maintaining that quality of we are we are playfully playing around with the idea that we are performing this uh, for you and we're aware of the illusions that we're creating all of the time. Um, and I guess in that sense, everything comes from a root of play and playfulness um and and hope hopefully the audience like enjoying that playfulness and coming on board with that playfulness as well yeah it's an interesting feeling when you're watching a play that utilizes physical theater and seemingly everything changes whilst nothing changes i'm thinking about the piece of rope that i mentioned in the intro i could tell it was the same piece of rope but at the same time it wasn't because you were responding to it differently and convincing me that it was an aeroplane in that second it became an aeroplane um, in War of the Worlds, you transform into dogs, you know, at the drop of a hat. And when you have a whole room of people watching this instantaneous transformation, it is a weird feeling. Mm, no, it's great. And I think that's the sort of that sort of um, that playful suspension of disbelief when you can feel the audience really coming on board with that is that sort of joyful, um, that joyful sense of, 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 of playing and, and being involved in playfulness, which is... Um, which is all too absent in adult life, which is, you know, obviously our childhoods are usually full of it. Um, but, but yeah, it, I think that's, I think that's what we're kind of searching for. Not necessarily that the, the shows themselves will feel childlike in terms of theme or content or, or approach. But, but I think by, by childlike, I think, I suppose I'm talking about um, curiosity uh, the suspension of disbelief, the willingness to sort of engage our imaginations together. Um, we, I always describe the sort of the audience's imaginations, the sort of CGI of theatre, you know, that you're really you're really just kind of instead of, you know, having 12 people in a, in a, in a room making these incredible you know, CGI monsters you know, fighting each other. What you're what you're doing is you're kind of you're, you're trying to find techniques um, that that start off that process in an audience's mind, so you're triggering things in an audience's mind, and 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 then they'll fill in all the blanks themselves. Um, so yeah, that's 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 really what we're sort of what we're sort of trying to achieve in, in creating sort of an enriched enriching theatrical experience. This idea and, and focus on play is that something that comes from your training at Jacques Lecoq. Yeah, and that's the key, that's a key part of the school. Um, it, it is leisure, um, and that's that's really the cornerstone of almost everything. That, that that the cornerstone of how you approach everything at Lecoq is through leisure, um, and that that and that playfulness again doesn't necessarily. When you say playfulness, what immediately springs to mind is people jumping around and laughing and tickling each other. It's not not always the case. It's it really it really is it, it's really a, a word that is used to describe an approach which is entering entering an unknown really um starting from a place of unknown um again like to take it back to sort of analogy of children you know watching children play they they, they, they sort of it's, it's just a full long form improvisation you know um the rules of the game are found within the play uh, the play itself is found in the play um so a lot of it is about getting lost in play uh, with each other and that's equally you know relevant to clowning and commedia dell'arte as it is to melodrama and tragedy um is 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 finding finding these moments and connection um through through playfulness 
um, uh, with each other. And I think, you know, that sort of links to the other core aspect of our training and, and how we make work, which is through improvisation. Um, and, you know, for, for two years at Lecoq, you spend every day improvising um, um, in front of each other. Um, and so it's all about finding these moments um, in the moment um, and finding uh, finding meaning and finding the profound uh, in the moment and, and, and from nothing. Um, and that's also something that I sort of love to try and strive for when I'm on stage, even if I'm in a show, which I've done a hundred times, um, is still trying to find those new discoveries and those new moments, which, which feel, uh, which feel new and, and feel sort of profound with, with, with the people that are watching it for the, for the very first time. Yeah. So you mentioned there how you make work through devising. Um, I'm quite interested in how Roman clay make work more broadly uh, you often have collaborators to work with you know in testosterone you worked with kit redston uh, you often collaborate with composers and musicians how does this whole process come about do you find someone you want to work with first or do you find a story or, or a question you want to explore and then find a suitable collaborator or, or is it something uh, or is it different for each project it sort of does it does sort of vary from project to project i think sometimes we 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 have an idea and then we 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 sort of retrofit the collaborators to the idea. Um, so, for instance, um, uh, for instance, the War of the Worlds. Um, that was an idea that we had um, of of adapting War of the Worlds, but using it as a vehicle to talk about fake news um, and misinformation um, and 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 these interwoven sort of narratives. And then you know that's what led us to the writer Isley Lynn. And we thought she would be a perfect collaborator, as well as Hamish McDougall as well, who co-directed that with us. So, yeah, so 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 it really those two sort of collaborators came from um, came from thinking that they would be perfect on that particular show. Um, Project Dictator, our latest one, actually came from our collaborator, Hamish McDougall, who said, you know, he'd love to love to make a show with just us two on stage and, and use clowning to talk about dictators. Um, and then that sort of led us on to sort of creating this sort of this idea of a show together and then finding Khaled Kirbe um, as a sort of a Syrian jazz musician who's based in Berlin, um, being a sort of a, a perfect, a perfect collaborator um, for for that for that show. Um, because of the subject material, but also because of the tone that we started to find that we wanted to play around with. Um, Testosterone is a great example of, you know, that really started from friendship and a conversation. You know, Kit was a friend of mine and um, I was sort of living with him at the time and, and, and we were just in his kitchen talking about his transition. Um, and, and he was a theatre maker and we, we, we just sort of said, well, do you want to make a show about it? Because it's, a, it's a, it, let's turn this sort of, we found the conversation interesting and funny and sort of moving and and I and you know that's that's always fertile ground ground for for theatre so so yeah we just um we we decided to collaborate from that conversation um so yeah there's no there's no sort of direct formula of how we find our collaborators or or who are the right people to collaborate with um but yeah it's a it's also it's always a bit of a gut instinct one as well it's a bit of a um, you have a feeling about someone who will be sort of perfect to create this world with or to investigate this world with, um, which I, re I think like, you know, it's, it really is important to, to not underestimate the, the influence that our collaborators have on our work. Um, you know, when we started, we were we were four 
four people from Lecoq who, who enjoyed making work together at Lecoq and we made shows together and it was it was a lot of fun but it was also very kind of um it, it reached a it reached a point where it needed something else um and it needed outside influence and it needed practitioners who have a different skill set you know who who are who are looking at work from a different angle um who are incredible with text or dialogue or structure or or or, or you know who are kind of approaching work from not our discipline um and we've always wanted to challenge ourselves um by collaborating with people who 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 don't necessarily approach work in the same way but we are all interested by each other's processes and how we can how can we how can we invent a new process together uh from our different our different disciplines and our different sort of approaches and tastes it's really interesting hearing about how rum and clay has evolved over time i mean obviously you still have a lot of the principles that you've learned from jacques lecoq but now you're using collaborators to push your practice as far as it can go yeah i, th- I think the thing about the thing about lecoq i think you know i think there's a sort of i think lecoq is is designed and the pedagogy is designed for it to become anything that you want it to be um there's certainly not it certainly shouldn't be derivative of a particular style um of course there's like lots of kind of tropes or 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 kind of visual things that you might see which are sort of common or universal amongst lecoq companies but um that's usually amongst i mean we are we really found that our early work our very early work was 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 much more in inverted commas lecoq you know or or you can you can trace you can trace its style to the school a lot more um because you're so much closer to it but the but the further you the the more you move away from it um it's not you're you're becoming less inspired by the school because it continues to inspire you but it's becoming less derivative of the school i suppose so it's it's less sort of actively using you know uh the the sort of the techniques that you've been taught um to put them on stage but rather using those techniques to try and make something new or try and make something that's your own um and i think that's i'm not even sure if that was a conscious thing that's just sort of that just sort of happens with experience and time and confidence i think and and confidence in being creative and you i think you begin to gain confidence in yourself as a creative as opposed to um leaning on things that you've been taught to 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 give you validation and confidence if that makes sense um and and it really is i mean i remember the teachers at at, at the school you know if they ever got a sense that we were trying to trying to please them or do something that we felt would be you know successful or lecoq you know they would sort of they would berate us and say you know that's not you know that's not what the school's about um the school is about giving you giving you tools in which to make something new um and you're constantly generating something new um and you're never really you're never replicating an existing script so it's all about the creation of something new from yourselves in that moment from this time i've definitely seen an evolution in the work you produce um I'm thinking back to the Strange World song or Man in the Moon, which felt to me like a very, uh, it was an exploration of the physical, uh, whereas War of the Worlds, on the other hand, seemed to me to explore dialogue and language and, and the power that that has. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, Isley, Isley's an amazing writer and she, she's a brilliant writer of dialogue as well. Um, and and so she was key in sort of creating those, those quite intricate scenes of uh, sort of nuanced dialogue between characters and also sort of from our kind of improvisations and, and our sort of, uh, our kind of, you know, the, the way that we played in the room and improvised with each other and created, created those characters, you know. Um, but yeah, and each, and each kind of, and I think each, each show is sort of a touch different. I mean, I think Project Dictator, the emphasis switched from the text and the structure to the play and the playfulness and the clowning between myself and Matt, you know, and that became really the, the kind of the focus of that show and the kind of where the themes and the, and the metaphors and the kind of the mechanisms of how the show would function really function within that play and the playfulness and the relationship there um so yeah i think each yeah each production shifts in its kind of stylistic emphasis i suppose um but yeah certainly our early work was very um yeah very much in that playful vein i mean we didn't really we didn't really work with directors or outside eyes or writers in those early days so it was very much like we would make a show in the same way that we'd make an autocore, which is, which is the weekly task that you're given at Lecoq to make a piece of work uh, across the week, um, usually lasting sort of three to five minutes, depending on how long they let you last um, before stopping you if they think it's appalling. But um, yeah, so we used to make work in that sort of vein. Um, and because that's kind of how we, we learn how to make work. Um, and it was only later that we, we, we really found uh, we really found it to be an enriching experience to our process and the final product to, to, to collaborate with writers, to collaborate with directors, to collaborate with, you know, lots of sort of um, outside, outside influences um, in order to, yeah, in order to enrich the, enrich the work. As Rum and Clay builds a bigger body of work and more people come to see your shows and the name Rum and Clay becomes more established, do you ever feel restricted? You know, like you have to make a specific type of show, a Rum and Clay show, or is it in fact the opposite? You know, now that you're more established, people give you the time and the space to create what you want in the way that you want? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think, I think, I think if, if to someone who's been following our work for a long time, I don't know if I don't know if they would be able to define what what a rum and clay show is uh, in in a, in a in a sort of a nice way, and I think I think that's I think that's slightly a product of um, us as people being wanting to make lots of you know different shows about different things and and not necessarily and kind of I suppose avoiding being bored by doing the same thing over and over again and, and trying to do something different. Um, but also, again, a product of the people we've collaborated with, because they are they are hugely influential in terms of of the um, of 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 the different the different styles and the different nuances to our work, because it's not being made by the same people over and over again. Um, but I think I think in general, it's, a, it's it's an interesting question. I think I don't know if there would be a pressure on. It depends. I think sometimes you feel like you're making like you'll make something that you'll sort of know will work at a certain level and for a certain audience. So I think when we made War of the Worlds, we knew when we were making that, that if it was successful, it could go to a larger scale um, and, and attract um, 
and and go to the mid scale quite successfully um and not and we wouldn't be necessarily worried about people coming to see it um partly because it's called war of the worlds um you know and so there's already an element of uh there's there's less um brochure booking nervousness about something that people people have seen or at least know what the title is um it seems less of a risk for them um but also because it had that kind of we de- we we specifically made it with that expansiveness of scale um and and that it would it would it would we knew that it would improve every time we scaled it up um as opposed to sort of detracting anything and similarly project dictator we made um as a sort of uh kind of knowing that it it would may it may attract a different audience and and sort of exist on a slightly different scale to that um and its future life uh uh would would exist in a different in a different world um so i suppose yes i wonder if i mean i don't know if we'll i don't know if we'll become a company which is like um knee high for example where you sort of know exactly you kind of know exactly what a knee high show is going to feel like um you you, you know you, you you sort of you, you kind of you could have a sense of the taste of it already before before the show be- begins um or a gecko for example i think we'll probably ex- we'll probably be a company that that will will probably have uh an element of sort of motifs or or kind of uh, an element of a uh, of of tropes um to to some of our some of our movement style and some of our performance style but i i have a feeling that that will keep making work which will which will keep kind of changing stylistically and and be and um and be sort of a bit indefinable um as as to what as to what what a rum and close show is and will be um partly because we keep trying to make shows about different different things that are happening and and i think that 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 really dictates the style the style and the content are always changing um, and what what best serves what best serves a story is, is is different depending on what the story is and the people you're working with um, and again because I think there's always, there's something that we sort of have sort of done inadvertently that that we've I don't think we've ever had the exact same creative team twice um, so so there's always um, there is always a kind of a shifting um, a shifting pattern to the process and a shifting content and therefore a shifting style um and i think we're often changing as as practitioners too and what we're interested in doing and how we want to approach stuff and how we want to perform and 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 the kind of the movement style that we that we find interesting or or all of those things we, we've never um we've never tried to search for a uh signature style to our work um which is not to say that that's um that's any less sort of uh, valid because i know many artists who search for that signature style and it can really work but it's just not something that we've ever we've ever sought out really um we've always i suppose we've always tried to follow our instincts and then and 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 try not to make a show to a brief uh hopefully finding what the show is at the very end as opposed to knowing that this show needs to look like this, move like this, feel like this from the beginning, 
um because yeah that's i guess the joy of devising which is uh, all of those things are up in the air and unknown i'm going to dig down on that a little bit deeper um when you were making War of the Worlds, you knew there was the potential for it to go on to a mid-sized tour. You were consciously aware that this play might have a, a life in a variety of venues. Does this knowledge affect how you make theatre? You know, when, when you're devising, are you just focusing on making the work as good as you can? And then you know that if you make a good piece of work, you don't have to worry about where it tours because it's, it's good and that will translate sort of no matter where it is. Mm, I think I think that latter point is definitely true. I think you know, um, you know, if if something works, it works. You know, and even you know, to be honest, even if something works, it may not work in every situation with every audience. You know, you could make something incredible but very esoteric, which is just never going to be uh, doing a regional UK mid scale tour. Um, we've always made work which. I hope balances that line uh, between sort of innovative and interesting, but also not alienating to to not necessarily a theatre in inverted commas audience. Hopefully, making work that that people will enjoy, even if they don't they may not go to the theatre more than once a year. Um, so certainly not making work for a theatre crowd. Um, but I think you know there is a truth to there is a truth to kind of, I mean, we definitely, War of the Worlds, for example, you know, when we found that idea and we, when we thought about what we could do with that idea, we definitely recognised that as an opportunity to um, make, a, make a step in that direction because it was a step that we were interested in going in and, and, and making work for the mid-scale. Um, and all of the, just instinctually, all of the, all of the things around it and the team that we were assembling and the show itself, um, we all felt that it had the potential if it worked to work at that scale. Um, and I think there's something, but then again, I think you really would be shooting yourself in the foot if you're, if you're, if you're, um, if you're kind of um, restricting yourself rigidly for a brief, because you, because you think it needs to fulfill these, these certain goals um one because nothing ever turns out the way you're ever going to think it's going to turn out so all of those all of those objectives and goals will shift and move and um and and it's just it's a bit it's a bit of a it's a bit fool's gold to think that um to to give yourself such a rigid end point or finish line because theater and the industry just never works like that but i think it is useful to think in those kind of in those those terms in terms of it was certainly useful for war of the worlds um that we knew even though we were making it at new diorama which is like an 80 seat studio theater we knew it had that potential to to, to make that journey just because of what the show was and, and what it could be um and i think it is useful to not hold yourself rigidly to those objectives but just be aware of them as you're making it and 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 kind of giving yourself as much of a, a broader scope to 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 explore those as as much as possible. We should probably mention Edinburgh specifically, seeing as that is the uh, sort of catalyst for this conversation. Um, so, how important has the Fringe been uh, for you creatively, or perhaps uh, for the success of Rum and Clay? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely 
I mean, it's absolutely ta- tantamount to the, to the company company's existence. Really, it's bit it's at the core of it is at the core of the company's yeah existence. Really, uh, we we did our first Edinburgh almost as soon as we left Lecoq. So we um, which is a bit th- thinking back a little bit mad, really. But we sort of we made a show almost in a month um, in kind of parks and parks in Paris and then parks in Oxford uh whilst everyone was sleeping at my dad's house and then we just took a show to edinburgh um and then and then it did really well and i think what was what was really good about that was that we didn't have a year of of just doing hospitality jobs and wondering what the hell we were going to do with our lives we had something that we could just throw like right up there right 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 away um do something um and 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 it was and it and it did really well and there's it was you know it was a bit of a flawed show in some respects but it did sort of yeah, it did sort of, it, it sort of gave us a sense of belief in something that the company was doing. We didn't quite know what it was, but we knew we had something uh, which was kind of, which was good. And we were onto something good, uh, which was great. So it validated it as a project from the very beginning, because I think it's hard when you're doing something from scratch, like making a company, um, and, until you actually make something it's very it's not it's not a tangible thing uh so so it, it sort of exists in these sort of in the ether but until you actually do something um it, it, you can't really validate it as a as a thing even for yourself properly or the people that you're working with so that's that was really key but it also made it, it was we were lucky in the sense that you know um we had someone from the watermill theater who came to see it beth flintoff who absolutely loved it and they just so happened at the time were looking for new associate companies um, and wanted to work with us to make to make work work with the Watermill Theatre. So that led to our first professional theatre commission about a year after. Um, and so we did two two um, two pro- big professional shows with them, which is the first kind of properly professional environment we work with in a, in a company with with a full team and. Um, and everything and an actual you know and, and not finding props out of skips but actually having props made for us and sourced for us um which was which was wonderful um so yeah and i think and i think we kept on i think edinburgh i don't think you could there's there absolutely is no no company or or, or the form that it's in without edinburgh um because it is also taught us so much about ourselves you know we had a strange world song which was our first big hit um, at Edinburgh, and that was just such a joyous, a joyous month. And then we had the following year, we had a show called Man in the Moon, which just didn't do quite as well, um, and was wasn't wasn't, and we weren't as happy with as a as a show itself. Um, and that was a really tough month, you know. Um, and that was that was a kind of roller coaster of, and that's the roller coaster of being a young company because you're still you're learning stuff about yourself and makers and stuff like that. And after that month in particular, we made a decision that. Well, we would never premiere anything in Edinburgh ever again. We would always make sure we make it and then take it up there if we think it's good enough because um, it's too much of a financial risk to just experiment with something up there. But also, too, that we would that we would really take our time over what shows we wanted to make and why, you know. And I think, you know, Man of the Moon was a product of, of, of us as a young company you know just just being on this treadmill of making and performing which is which is great to do and to get stuff out there but it's also at some point you know the, the quality of the work will suffer slightly because you'll end up doing something which you're not quite sure why you're doing it or 
or what you know what I mean you, you're in the rehearsal room and you're going well what's this what actually is this show about again and why are we making it and I think that was the key I think we were like you know whatever we make next we really need to know what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it you know and that's not the same as saying you know you, you know what the final product is going to be but um you will definitely like you definitely know why you're doing it and and and, and, and what's driving it what's driving the motivation um and yeah and, and it also edinburgh's given us you know our our international touring experience and those networks and um you know it meant that we 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 gained you know we did big uk tours and international tours and you know it is it's it, edinburgh is is flawed in the way that it's kind of artists you know aren't aren't rewarded enough for essentially bringing the art which is what the festival is uh without the artist there there literally is just beer gardens um but you know uh, and and those that those the, the beer gardens are the ones that get rewarded but but i mean it's flawed in that sense um but it's still it is such a i mean there is just no yeah there there is the company just doesn't exist in the same way without it um because because for devised work or for devices that that you just can't that the exposure to promoters and audiences and national press you just don't really get anywhere else um as certainly for a young emerging company once you make a name then you can get you know like new diorama started commissioning five week runs from us and the watermill commission work and you know but but, but to actually to get yourself seen is incredibly hard particularly for three weeks like no emerging company is ever going to get put on a venue for three weeks that just doesn't happen and they and you say so you don't get that opportunity to not only get seen by lots of different people um and press and promoters and stuff but also to perform you know 25 times in a row um so so that's also kind of a real kind of cutting your teeth moment um not only as a maker but as a performer so yeah it's it's it was just been totally totally invaluable to our to our journey really Julian Spooner, thank you very much. Thanks so much. It's been really interesting to hear about your priorities and ambitions for your work, how you've developed these skills at Jacques Lecoq and how these have informed the work you make today and the creativity they offer when you uh, do find other collaborators or, or work in different venues. 